Well, last uh, Lord's Day, or maybe it was the Lord's before, we uh, looked at Sarah. So now it's back to Abraham on Mount Moriah. Um, what happened on Mount Moriah? Well, it was a busy place, is what it was. Um, where's my little... Oh, there it is. Oh, okay, you get the whole thing. That's good. Um, so Mount, the, the word Moriah sort of says it all. Um, it, it's derived, it has three elements. Uh, the prefix, uh, mem, meaning place. The root, ra'ah, which uh, means to see or in some forms to provide. And the final uh, theophoric element, yah, short for Yahweh, the sacred name of God. So Moriah means the place where God sees or provides. And that really is significant. The first complete um, name reference or reference um, to Mount Moriah appears in Second uh, uh, Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1. And then Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father David. It was on the threshing floor of Arona, the Jebusite, the place provided by David. Um, so, the temple, of course, where, which we're talking about, where it was built there, is where the tribes of Israel went up to worship, where the, the sacred sacrifices were performed. It all happened on Mount Moriah, now called the Temple Mount. You'll read about it in that in the news because it's much disputed with, with Jews and Greeks in Jerusalem, the Temple Mount. Uh, Solomon, um, the son of King David, constructed um, the temple on, in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, the, the place where God saw and God provided. Um, well, before that, it became uh, the location uh, of the temple. Mount Moriah was the site of a threshing floor that began to this, uh, belonged to this Jebusite man by the name of Arona or Ornan, a variation of the same name. Uh, back in First Chronicles chapter uh, 21, we're told, uh, and you may recall this, how Satan tempts David into um, inciting him to number all of the, um, uh, to get a count of all the men of Israel. By counting the Israelites, it's likely that David was interested in knowing the number of men of military age. Uh, we're told that this angered the Lord. And I believe it probably angered the Lord because it represented a sinful distrust or perhaps uh, of that the Lord would, would fight battles uh, and, uh, or perhaps it was a, it was a uh, boastful desire to transform the theocratic kingdom into a conquering world power. It's thought that David may have had in his mind plans to expand the kingdom beyond the borders set by God. At any rate, whatever his thinking, Joab, a military commander, knew this was wrong, and he pleaded with David not to proceed with the count, but David did it anyway. And God punished the nation with a terrible plague. Second uh, Chronicles 21, verse 16, David looked up and saw the angel of the Lord standing between heaven and earth with a drawn sword in his hand extended over Jerusalem. 
And then David and the elders, clothed in sackcloth, fell face down. And David said to God, Was it not I who ordered the fighting men to be counted? I am the one who has sinned and done wrong. But these sheep, what have they done? Oh Lord, my God, let your hand fall upon me and my family, but do not let this plague remain on your people. Well, God hears David's confession and plea and directs him to make a sacrifice. So David builds an altar and performs sacrifices. And where does he do this? He does it on the threshing floor of Arona, which was on Mount Moriah. And God withdrew his hand of wrath and the plague was arrested. That brings us to, to Abraham and Isaac. All of this is really the significant sort of backstory, in a sense, uh, to our text, or at least context, uh, which this evening, which directs our attention to the testing of the faith of Abraham when he was told to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. Now, this was long before the days of King David. And where was this to happen? It, it happened on the, height, on the heights of Mount Moriah, as described in Genesis 22, and summarized in our text this evening, as we're working our way through Hebrews 11, summarized in Hebrews 11, 17 to 19. Let's read it together. Hebrews 11, verses 17 to 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So, point two, the sacrifice we need, Mount Moriah. First of all, Mount Moriah is a place of humility where we're, we're brought low. Um, you and I must come every day to Mount Moriah. Um, it's a place of humility where we are so easily um, brought low. Abraham is called upon to make this great sacrifice, to give up the one thing that was dearest to his heart, which he had waited for so very long. Now, you'll recall that God had promised to Abraham a son of his own. He was already an old man, and Sarah was an old woman, his wife, and they struggled to believe God's promise uh, to them. In fact, at one point, you'll recall that Abraham and Sarah's faith wavered, and Sarah gave to Abraham her maid as a second wife from which union Ishmael was born, but he was not the one that God promised. When Isaac finally was born, you can imagine how his father doted on him, his only son whom he loved. Isaac was more, of course, than simply Abraham's son. This was the son whom God had promised to build a great nation. This was a descendant of Christ, Messiah himself. But now God uh, tells him to take and sacrifice that, that son um, and, and something abhorrent, something terrible, something that, that God never allowed in Israel. Um, how could this happen? Abraham surely could have, must have struggled to understand it. Well, 
God calls it a test in our text. Hebrews 11, 17, he tells us, by faith Abraham was tested, offering, uh, when, he was, when he was tested, offering up Isaac. And, and the Genesis account of this um, the, uh, tells us that after these things, um, God tested Abraham and said to him, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer there a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. So, <laughs> testing. Is God testing you in some way? Uh, sometimes he does this um, to draw us more closely to himself and uh, further away from the poisonous grip of the world. Sometimes we're tested to draw us from idolatry, that is, from an excessive love of Persons or, or people or things that, that might make us cold to God. The Apostle John warns us, he says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Um, sometimes we're tested by our own sins. Somehow God is behind this too. God does not sin and he's not the author of sin. But he may graciously use our sinful misadventures to to test us and to give us opportunity for sorrowful repentance and faith to prove our love and loyalty to him after all and to prove his own patience and forbearing love. Uh, Jesus says to fallen Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Was he referring perhaps to the other apostles of which Simon had boasted that his love was greater than any? Um, But uh, there he says it. And how would you answer that? Uh, do you love Jesus more than the pleasures of this life, more than anything else, or money or possessions? In fact, we need to hold um, everything loosely so that God can, can easily remove it from our hands. Um, even other people whom we um, love, we must hold carefully and prayerfully and lovingly, uh, even closely, but somehow loosely, so that when God should choose to take them from our hands, he can do so without, without breaking our fingers, so to speak. Uh, most of us are not easily willing to be part of the things we're comfortable with. We love our idols, the good things uh, even that we love too much and uh, perhaps hold too tightly for our own good. And, and the human heart is deceitful, we know this, I've discovered that often in our pride and anger and self-righteousness and self-pity, we, we may think we're in a low place, but really uh, we're, we're not so very low as we think. There's a lot of pride still. Um, God tested Abraham's faith on Mount Moriah. He required him to, to humble himself, to submit to God's will in this difficult task. He tested uh, David in the same place. Uh, faced with the consequences of his sin, David had to admit uh, that, that Joab was right, that he was wrong, that he had done something he shouldn't have done. He was faced also with the consequences of his sin. And he was brought to a place of humility. So he watched the misery that was going on around him and seeing that the, the, the plague's effects. Um, and so he, um, he... But God deals with us gently but, but not without testing us and disciplining us or not humbling us that we might know and love and trust him better. 
So we must all, point B, go to Mount Moriah. God will bring us there in his mercy and love so that we might be humble and our pride might keep us from loving and serving him and others as we should. But Moriah is also a place of grace where God is exalted. And that's the second thing I want to bring to your attention from this passage of Scripture, point B. Um, I, I want to say that I have always, I don't know how about you, but I've always been somewhat intimidated by this, this text. Uh, I, I, um, I, I just, I read it and I, and, um, and it's, it, I found it depressing. I found it scary. Is God going to ask me to sacrifice one of my um, sons or daughters? Um, um, but I think I've come to a better understanding, or I'm coming to a better understanding of it. I think that when we read this passage, we're too easily awed by Abraham and his faith and his great sacrifice. We ought rather to be impressed with God and his sacrifice. For, you see, the reason that Abraham was able to go to the very edge with God and be prepared to sacrifice Isaac was that somehow we understood that God was making even a greater sacrifice than he was. God loved Isaac as well. Um, moreover, to have sacrificed Isaac was to sacrifice his own eternal purposes and plans. For he had pledged to Abraham that Isaac would be the son of the promise. Upon Isaac, he would build this mighty nation without number. From Isaac would come uh, Messiah. Uh, the plan of redemption, you could say, even depended on Isaac. But God was willing, humanly speaking, if I can say it this way, to sacrifice himself. Now, Abraham didn't understand everything about that. But he was willing to trust God and imitate God. And that's clear from what he told Isaac when they're climbing the mountain. You may recall this. Uh, Isaac is carrying the wood and the fire in some form. And, um, and he says, um, uh, The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. God himself, Moriah. The fact of the matter is, God always provides the sacrifice for life and blessing. God stays Abraham's hand when it looks, and, and when he looks up, what does he see? He sees a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. And, and you understand what that's all about, don't you? The ram became a substitute for Isaac and was sacrificed by Abraham in place of Isaac. It's a, it's a picture, it's a sure foreshadowing of Christ, the Lamb of God, the beloved and only Son of God, whom the Father did not spare, but sacrificed on yet another nearby hill known as Mount Calvary as a substitute to atone for our sin and those of Abraham and Isaac. So as we ponder the sacrifice, the substitutionary sacrifice of, of Christ, we recognize that God himself did provide the lamb for the burnt offering, even his own son, the Lord Jesus. And we're reminded uh, ourselves that what God did not require of Abraham, he did require of himself. Only uh, we remember that God did not withhold his son, his only son, his beloved son, but delivered him up 
as a sacrifice and a substitute for sin. Only, you see, what I'm trying to say is, as we consider how Abraham's beloved only son, Isaac, was spared, but God's beloved only son, Jesus, was not spared, that is a measure of grace for us. Remember uh, that um, when we remember that, it, it, it becomes possible for us to face the sacrifices that God calls us to make. Because he always provides the sacrifice, the real sacrifice himself. Think about it. Even when you put money in the plate, uh, do you consider that a sacrifice? How much more did God give you um, that, than you're giving to him? And where in the world did that come from anywhere? God gave it to you in the first place. He, and he gave you a lot more than that. He's only asking for a measly 10%. You get to keep 90%. Well, not quite. The government takes a good bit, too, but that's another topic. Um, but what kind of subject and sacrifice is that? It's like, it's like giving a child a dime to put in the plate when we worship God. But that's the way God is. Um, at the threshing floor of Arona, David, who deserves the wrath of God, found mercy when God graciously met him and directed him to sacrifice that sacrifice cost David a hundred shekels of gold, which was a pretty penny, but what was a hundred shekels of gold to David? <laughs> God had made David an extremely wealthy man and the king. It was God's money. Most of that money came from booty uh, captured in, in warfare that God allowed David to win. Uh, and with that, God paid for the land and the animals of sacrifice. So really, God provided uh, David's sacrificial sacrifice as well. And David's sacrifice, like Abraham's sacrifice, was again only a shadow of Christ. The real sacrifice on account of which God was able to forgive Abraham's sin and David's sin and yours and mine as well. But there's a little more. Listen again, this is point C uh, to Hebrews 11:19. He, Abraham, considered or reckoned that God was able even to raise him, that is Isaac, from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So, Abraham reasoned that if God was going to keep his promise and give him countless descendants from Isaac, that Isaac somehow would have to live, even if he had to die first. And isn't that exactly what the father did with his own son, Jesus? Didn't he raise Jesus? After three days lying dead in the grave, praise God. So, Moriah is a picture of grace. It's a picture of the cross. And what happens at the cross? Well, God's people, you and I, come with humility. And we humble ourselves and we throw off our, our idols and then we kneel before it as a place of humility. But we also come to Jesus, to the cross, like Abraham, in faith with anticipation and trusting that God will stop at nothing. Um, the resurrection to, to keep his promises. And, but more than that, the resurrection of Christ, foreshadowed by the resurrection of Isaac, is a vindication of our faith and the promise of our own resurrection to come. And in fact, the more willing you and I are to offer up in faith our sacrifices, that is, to humble ourselves and lay down what might be dear, dear to us and near to us, um, our idols and our sins, the more we're willing to submit ourselves to God, the more glorious 
Uh, God's sacrifice at Calvary will seem, and the more exalted um, he will be in our hearts and lives. And his resurrection uh, will be all the sweeter as we remember how he resurrected his own son as a foretaste, as part of this whole picture here on Mount Moriah. Uh, the Apostle Peter summarizes it very simply this way. He says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Uh, what sort of sacrifice is God calling each of us to make? Um, how do we need to be brought low? We, we don't shrink from it. We humble ourselves. We confess our sins and our weakness. And we imitate God. That's our glory. And you can trust God who gave his own son uh, for his people. For God will give you grace. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Lord our God, thank you for uh, this picture of, of grace, this picture of forgiveness and mercy, of this forgiveness of the substitution of Christ, this picture of resurrection. Lord, all those things are important to us and have, a, have an effect on how we live our lives. Um, very often, our sacrifices are very small um, and very often uh, your mercies are far greater than we deserve. But we read these passages and rejoice in your grace. We thank you for Christ our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.